presented by The Hockey Shop. Source for sports story, thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. We are into the Stanley Cup playoffs. We've seen some trends. We're going to get into that. We've also got a great interview today in the feature conversation brought to you by Sensorino with Michael Lawrence, our goaltending coach with H.C. Logano. He's always got some fresh ideas whenever he joins the podcast. And we will also get into the World Hockey Championship as we say hello to the co-founders of In Goal Magazine, David Hutchison and Kevin Woodley. And uh, there's been a lot of goals, but a lot of great saves. How are we summing up the performance of the Netminers at the start of the Stanley Cup playoffs, Hutch? Interesting conversation about that before we got going here. And I sort of get the impression that it's what we would call in the geeky science world, the bimodal distribution. (laughs) <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Yeah, instead no of like an average in the middle and some guys doing really well and some guys doing a little poorly, I think maybe like you raised that question when we started talking, are all the performances not that good? And then we come up with a bunch of names of guys who are actually having some really good performances. Sort of seems we've got guys on both ends of the spectrum. We've got uh, a number of goaltenders, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. That's Woody's job, uh, who are underperforming expectations. And we got a number of guys who are uh, outperforming expectations. And I don't know how many guys are sort of right there in the middle. It's uh, it's a fascinating first round that we've been seeing and, and uh, really interesting for goalie fans everywhere. Woody? Well, maybe that's because we've just got so many damn guys in your bimodal whatever thingamajig. True. Like the model is much bigger than we would expect for the first round of the playoffs. Are you kidding me? 27 goalies in the first round already? Like this is not, and we, and depending, we could have number 28 make his playoff debut in game seven, Tristan Jari, all of a sudden a game time decision coming off of the reported broken foot, taking a ton of shots the day before their game seven, 28 goalies potentially in the first round of the playoffs. What the hell is going on? Some of it is injury. Some of it is performance. Some of it is changing up the momentum of series. Some of it, frankly, is curious decision-making uh, by head coaches, but it's been wild to watch, and you're right, Darren. There there are guys who have underperformed. Andre Vasilevsky, the quote-unquote best goalie in the world, is well below expected in the first round of the playoffs. And then I get a lot of, an, on my regular radio appearances, people asking about Jack Campbell outperforming him. Well, guess who's also well under-expected in the first round of the playoffs, but not quite as bad as Andre Vasilevsky? It's Jack Campbell. Um, how much of this, because when we look at the guys who are at the top of the list, Jacob Markstrom, Jake Ottinger, just having a playoffs, like have yourself a run kid. Those guys are playing on teams that play with a little bit more structure. Like how much of this? No, no, that's going back 15 years in time in, in Calgary and in Dallas. Well, and, that and so, it's but the you know, we see it, we see it a little bit, I guess, maybe not from a goaltending perspective because Jonathan Quick's underwater numbers-wise too, but he's had some really good performances in there. Like, how much is this the game just changing? Like, we've we've seen things be right. a little more wide open. We've we've got more power plays in the playoffs. Um, as much as the league wants to tell us that the trend has been, you know, penalties being called more in the playoffs for a number of years here, uh, it feels like more of these penalties are actually power plays this year than just you know like send them both off and and play some four on four so uh, and how much of it is teams maybe not being as hard on players in and around the net and as hard on the puck 
uh, defensively because they worry about taking penalties. And so there is more open space for skilled players. I don't have any of the answers. All I know is it's been a wild first round and the fact that it's going to accumulate with what we've got five game sevens this weekend. Um, I, I can live with that. It's entertaining. And amidst even some of the high scores, some of the blowouts haven't been fun, but even some of these high scoring games, like there's still five alarm saves going on in all of them. Like I'm watching yeah. Jeremy Swayman right now as we do this. Uh, in the first period, and they're down one nothing after one. But like Sway's made a handful of really tough saves, and made them for the most part look relatively easy. So um, there may be some some you know off kilter numbers, some crooked numbers. But even looking at the analytics, I think some of those crooked numbers are are blowouts, right? Like Jonathan has Jonathan Quick been he's below expected. Has he been bad, or his numbers just skewed in a tiny sample by one game where things got out of, or two games where things got out of control? Well, Exactly. The wins versus losses comparison for Jonathan Quick are extraordinary. The difference in, in the the analytics. And Andre Vasilevsky, uh, his numbers, uh, when you do the deeper dive, may not be outstanding, but he's going against, uh, arguably, uh, the best offensive player in the league this year and a favorite uh, to win the Hart Trophy in, in Austin Matthews and then uh, that offensive juggernaut. So, so maybe he's actually doing okay based on the competition that he's, that he's facing. I'm, I'm having a hard time. You know one thing? Isn't it what we were also talking about? Uh, how the game has evolved. And we were, you know, we were discussing, is goaltending right. changing or is the game changing? We've frequently over the years brought up, uh, I mean, Woody's point more than anybody's, the fact that the, uh, the players are starting to catch up to the goaltenders and the way that they're using skills coaches out of season, in season. Uh, scoring is up in the league as a result. Uh, it's an interesting trend that we're seeing happen. And yeah, some really fantastic performances that are maybe being masked by how we traditionally look at some of the numbers. Well, and teams, not just players figuring out more skills and all that kind of stuff, but how about teams figuring out how to score? Guys, I read something the other day. You know, I always talk about working low high. If I was trying to attack teams, I'd try and work from below the goal line a lot more than we traditionally see. I saw a number the other day that said 30% of the goals in the first round of the playoffs had come through plays that either like directly into the scoring areas or up from behind the net below the line to the top of the point and creating offense that way. We are seeing teams use Gretzky's office, for lack of a better term, far more often and far more effectively. We all know what it does to us as a goaltender, makes us turn our head have to make decisions on when we're going to inevitably, if it goes behind the net and from one side to the other, you have to give up vision on the puck to, to turn your head and pick a spot when you do it. And we all train windows and different things to help us keep our eyes on it as long as we can. But even when we're watching the puck behind the net, it means we can't see what's going on in front of us. Like we have to make tough decisions as goaltenders on plays from behind the net. And it seems like a lot more of these teams have figured that out in terms of how they're trying to attack. And that's one of the big increases in offense is how many teams are trying to generate on plays from that trapezoid area below the goal line behind the net. Hutch, I'd be at the front of the line to tell you that St. Louis is into the second round because of that low to high uh, move, Brian Riley in particular. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, as Woody said, it's an incredibly effective play. We were just talking about, you know, the shooters adapting in terms of their training. Um, goalie coaches. What's this summer going to look like? What are you pulling out of your bag of tricks? I know we joke all the time that you're going to see all these goalie schools teaching goaltenders how to defend the Michigan. That is not what Woody means by low to high plays, <laughs> although it is a you know a sudden <laughs> example of one. 
um, are, are we going to be able to adapt because offenses are changing? It, it, like you said, Darren, it can make a massive difference really quickly. So what are we going to be able to do so that we can learn to combat that? I don't think I don't think you need two one games either. Like no. we've we've seen some great goaltending as as Woody talked about, and and goaltending can be great. Uh, athletes can be outstanding and have an influence on it with with higher goals. Yeah, but as long as and 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 I'm absolutely for that if it's coming from the skill of the players and great scoring chances and let's see it happen. I've always yeah. been that guy who hates all those rule changes people want to see put in place so that we get those 1970 goals off the rush from above the top of the circles. We don't want to do that by slimming down equipment and, and all sorts of stuff. But if uh, I, I love the changes that are happening in the game because players, teams are now responding and now we're seeing increased scoring, but it's done with skill and it challenges the goaltenders and there's nothing wrong with that because then the cream rises to the top. The pendulum is swinging it and is. it's time for us goalies to swing it back. Except the Stars Calgary series is a throwback. So you see how coaches will attack and pressure the offense and coaches who don't want to pressure and attack offense. And it's it's a conscious decision. Uh, the the goaltending has been fantastic, but I don't think Ottinger and Markstrom have been any better than uh, every other series. Well, it's it's interesting. They, I mean, statistically, they have a little bit, Darren, but part of that mm-hmm. comes from you know, because they're still facing chances. And I would actually argue that Markstrom in particular, like both of those guys are having like incredible series, not just in terms of being one, two, at least among the starters in terms of um, adjusted save percentage uh, so far. But especially in Markstrom case, he's still seeing good looks just after long periods of inactivity. And for both Mm. of them, knowing especially early in that series, that one goal might be one too many because we're not scoring, right? Like you start when you start a series with a one nothing game, like the pressure of not being able to make a mistake because you know it's going to be a low-scoring series, like the mental pressure that comes with that and the way those two have handled that has been really impressive to watch. But as much as their adjusted numbers still say they're better, we all know as goaltenders that the environment they're playing behind is certainly more predictable. Right, like it is not as chaotic in that series as it is in the others, and so again, as much as we're trying to weight the quality of their shots, and they're still coming out relative to quality as the best two in the playoffs so far, there's something to be said for being able to make saves on high danger chances because you know that was the only option is to shoot from there, and there aren't four other passing options to follow it like we've seen in some of these other series where offense has taken over. With five game sevens to come, eleven. Of the 16 teams in the Stanley Cup playoffs have used multiple goaltenders. I've got a question about that to come. Also, a goalie goal and a goalie assist to discuss. And the World Championships are underway. But first, uh, let's uh, give a shout out to The Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Woody? Well, it's an exciting time of year at The Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. And it's an exciting time of year for us here at the Gear Segment. Basically, one more week, folks, one more week before we start really digging into some of the new lines. Uh, We were in the hockey shop this week, recorded a whole bunch of new segments featuring the new CCM Axis 2, not just the pads and gloves. And oh, by the way, folks, look for the customizer on that to launch Tuesday, May 17th, as well as some overview material from us here at ingolmag.com and then some video gear segments to follow with the hockey shop as well as the new Bauer mock line. 
and some of this equipment is already on the shelves at the hockey shop. Not sure it's supposed to be or not, but I noticed that the sticks are up on the shelves, the Bauer mock sticks, and they're really impressive. We've got a gear segment uh, to come on that with Cam, as well as the pads, the gloves, chest protectors in that line, both that and the Axis too. some really some new exciting things there. Uh, new enemy helmet from Bauer as well. So like it's that time of year. It may be the middle of May, but it's like Christmas for us here at In Goal Magazine and at the Hockey Shop and thehockeyshop.com. And that means it's Christmas for goalies everywhere. Make sure you check them out. Go online, especially if you're in the lower mainland though, go in store because there's some items that aren't allowed to be online yet, but you can check them out in store. You can grab that mock glove off the wall, give it a squeeze. Uh, check out how it breaks, check out the new feeling in the hand. It's really interesting. Uh, and, and, and it created a lot of excitement uh, that you will see come through in our gear segment when we review that. So we're, we, we got one this week that's uh, designed to keep your gear from getting stinky, uh, but there will be nothing smelly about the subsequent weeks to follow. It is pure new goalie gear goodness coming one week after another, starting next week with our gear segments and live now if you go visit them in person at the hockey shop in Surrey. Yeah, I, I was on the website this weekend uh, going through things, and it was uh, it was awesome. I was on there for probably 90 minutes uh, going through things in every different category, and it does have that new gear smell right now, but not just because of the fresh lines that are coming out, but because of something that we sh- all, should all use. If, if we don't, shame on you. Uh, but a product that uh, that does help you your family, and those around you in the room. Yeah, we've got uh, this year, this week's gear segment. Now, I've got one in particular that I like. Uh, I do believe it saved my marriage, especially with all the stinky equipment we have here in the in-goal offices. Like, as I mentioned in this segment, there was a point where we had 12 different sets of gear going out and being tested by different goalies. Not all of them have the best hygiene. Some of them have a little more uh, scent to their mitts when they come back. So I had to make sure that smell didn't transmit to my garage. And we turn it over to Cam at the hockey shop with some products that will help you stay out of the doghouse, out of the laundry room, and in the good books when it comes to gear that doesn't stink. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. We're down here in Goalie Utopia, but actually with a product that you get upstairs near the player section. And just because they keep it up there by the counter doesn't mean it's any less important than all this beautiful new goalie equipment that surrounds us. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that one of these products has actually saved my marriage. <laughs> and it's funny because he doesn't even use it on his equipment. He uses it on himself. Today we are talking about deodorizers, gear disinfectant. Did not see that. Ladies and gentlemen. So. Everybody's wow. gear stinks. We know this. It's a common feedback, common hearing problem. How can I make my glove not stink? How can I make my chest not stink? Does game not stink? All of these things, except for the latter, can be solved with some of the products that we do have here in front of us today. Okay, Cam, I'm going to let you show your stink sprays, and then I'm going to show the one that saved my marriage, okay. and the one that I think you should buy better than all the other ones. So let's go with Cam's take, and then we'll get to the good stuff. Stink sprays. So we do have a couple different options, because, you know, options are great. 
Starting off with sports cleanse, sports cleanse. Um, this one I find if you start from day one when you buy the pro uh, your said product, whether it be your chest, you know, pants, whatever, start religiously with this spray. This would really help to get that you know antimicrobial layer. Easy um, for you to say. I I tried. And um, some people have, again, religiously started with this from, since day one. You know, their gear, six months, seven months down the road, it really does make a difference. You're not having that offensive odor smell, we'll call it. So it's a, in, in other words, it's sort of a, almost preventative. You need to start out of the gate. Start out of the gate with this. So once, you know, once it's past that point or, you know, you have used it and then you were looking for something else, we do have some other products that might be a little bit more geared towards that kind of a situation. Okay, sports cleanse. What's next? Keep going. Yeah. Fire it away. Capit odor. Everybody's uh, just waiting for me anyways. I know they are. I know they are. So we'll get there. But uh, again, spray, it's going to have a little bit more of that masking effect in terms of over a smell. Again, does have cytal or properties to be able to uh, kill that bacteria that's in there. Did uh, you say homicidal properties? Yeah, it's killing something. Okay. It's, you know. I thought he said homicide. I was like, <laughs> it's like heavy metal, you know, spray for your gear. Death, okay. Death, All right. Death to bacteria. Death, death to stank. All right. Okay. So, uh, again, I find this something is to use a little bit more, you know, as a masking agent. Again, if something's already, you know, past the point of no return and things like that, that's going to help to get some of that uh, smell out of that. Um, one of the things that we have found, though, that if your gear is kind of getting past that point of no return, these guys here, in terms of its overall effectiveness and something, this is something I've actually tested on my own gear itself. SI Shield, if I'm saying that correctly, this really does work if your gear really, really is past the point of return. You really have to soak it with this stuff, but it really helps to get in there, kills that bacteria, kills any of those microbes that is causing that smell. There's a secondary product that will also put a shield over top of it that'll help to prevent that uh, bacteria from growing back again and creating that smell. Again, something to check out. We have all these products up online. Um, you can take a look at them, see which one works best for you. What's that? Sport cap. Again, similar story to what we've been seeing here. Another product that will help to get rid of that bacteria once it's inside your chest. Um, also help with that fragrance. However, Kevin's been waiting for... Easy, hold on. Let's get to the stuff that saved my marriage. Power Sport. This stuff is phenomenal. At the in-goal offices, aka my garage sometimes, we've had as much as 12 sets of equipment going in and out all summer. And I gotta be honest, I love my testers. They do a great job providing feedback. One of the key things to our reviews is the fact that we get lots of different testers at lots of different levels right up to pro providing feedback. Some of them, however, have a little stank, especially in the mitts. So those things come back and the garage is not friendly. This stuff has saved my garage. It has saved my marriage. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was recommended to me by a guy whose wife was pretty much like the gear goes or you go. And he started using it and it took the stink out. Now, much like the sport cleanse, you need to apply it every time, but you don't necessarily need to apply it out of the gate. It's not like a preventative thing. You just spray it on liberally before you dry it. It's not like a masking agent. It's not a strong smell. It's not like throwing a bunch of Febreze in your garage and you replace one stink with a just more pleasant stink. This stuff actually goes in and takes the stink out of the gear. I've had stuff that comes back absolutely reeking. And after a couple of treatments and a couple like liberally applied, that's why you get the refill bottles, get, buy the big ones, fill the small ones, keep going, liberally applied, dry it, couple sessions like that, and the stink starts to disappear. We've got stuff that's got like 250 skates in it. It's in my garage right now. The heater's near it. 
It gets dried. It doesn't smell. This stuff is awesome. So comment below. Tell us which one your favorite stink spray is, what you use, however you use to keep that smell out of your gear. You can also give us a call here at 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790. We can talk about the sprays and whatnot. We can check them out at www.thehockeyshop.com. It's great. I smell like cow air and also apparently your garage. But you won't smell like anything. That's the beauty. It just goes away. It's not a masking agent like that deodorant you put on like... Just like you. By the... We'll see you next week. Oh, Cam was on fire there. Poof, disappear. He was good, make it, making you just vanish uh, on those. This was an epic week of recording. Cam was on fire. We did probably seven or eight sessions in the last couple of days over at the hockey shop. And Cam was on fire. I know we've had a few people complain in the comments, you know, would, would the old guy just Give the young guy a break and leave him alone a little bit. I'm getting tired of the shtick. Well, Cam was giving it back. So I think we're going to see the resurgence of Cam. He was quite punny. He was quite sharp-witted. And, uh, and Woody sat there and took it for the most part. Hold on. People are, act- people are actually like telling me to lay off him in the comments? Yeah. The old guy with the Stop. white hair and the beard or something, somebody said. I can't remember what it was. Oh, my. Woody, you don't get affected by that. You still be you, okay? (laughs) Soft. Cam's Cam's all over. It's good. It's good. Loved every minute of it. Yeah, he's he he was he was definitely given as good as he got this week. That's for sure. Uh, Great timing on that uh, that uh, odor uh, deodorizer uh, and the gear cleaning and uh, trying to uh, to get rid of the bad scent. Uh, Jomar Cruz, former Brandon Weeking, Portland Winterhawk, uh, played some pro and some. Uh, Canadian college, uh, he reached out to me and wanted to, Hey, what was that, uh, product that you guys, uh, were talking about from the hockey shop? And it was perfect timing, uh, cause he, he listens to in goal radio, the podcast all the time. So Joe Mark Cruz, uh, thank you very much for the, uh, the reach out and, uh, we're taking care of you here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do highly recommend the power. Like I said, be prepared to spray a lot of it on there. Like you can't just give it one, one or two quick squirts, but if you, you give it a good soak. And then let it dry. It does a really good job of sort of neutralizing existing orders and and um, keeping it you know relatively fresh. Like I'm not going to pretend that my gear smells like a daisy two years into using these pants and chest and arm. Like like they're well worn. They got a little bit of to them, but it's not as uh, not nearly as bad as it would be without them. It would be intolerable without them. So um, yeah, I got fan. into it about five years ago, and uh, I should have done it a long time ago. Shame it, on me. It makes a difference. Uh, it does. Uh, we've got the Sense Arena feature interview with uh, Michael Lawrence coming up in just a little bit. But uh, with 11 of the 16 teams using multiple goaltenders, uh, who are you most surprised at that have gone with only one? Edmonton, Tampa, they've done that the last couple of years, Dallas, Florida, or Calgary? Hutch, the biggest surprise that they've only been able, they've only gone with one goaltender, which is a real credit to those netminers. Geez, do I have to take a none of the above? I don't. I don't know that I'm surprised. It's interesting. Like I'm surprised at Edmonton. I. I mean, maybe a little I bit, but I think they're both. making the right decision there. I think if if the yeah, the local yeah. media or the fans were able to make the decision, I guess it's a surprise. But um, in many respects, really, just the surprise is the number of teams that have gone to two goaltenders. Uh, I mean, if I guess if you made me pick a team out of that list, I mean, maybe Florida. 
I, I could have seen, you know, Bob has not had another fantastic year and I could have seen Spencer Knight coming in there, but, um, you know, credit to him. Used three last year. Yeah, exactly. So I could have seen them being maybe a little bit itchy on that one, but, uh, but overall, no, I don't think I'm really surprised, Aaron. I'm just surprised overall the number that have, have gone to two. I would say my, my, I would say my surprise, I'd probably go with Florida if you forced me to pick one. My bigger surprise would be the team that didn't use a second goalie until they were facing elimination. And that would be the Minnesota Wild riding Flurry the whole way after alternating starts with him and Cam Talbot down the stretch after acquiring him from Chicago, going to an almost pure rotation. I know at the end of the season, they each played two in a row each. And then riding Flurry, which is fine. But if you were going to ride him in the playoffs, why didn't you ride him more down the stretch? Because he could have used more games to get acclimatized to his D. Most pro goalies will tell you it's 10 to 15 games. He didn't get into that and he could have used them. So, like, I get either one, but not the combination. Like, if you were going to alternate in the playoffs, then I understood the alternating down the stretch. If you weren't, if you were riding Flurry in the playoffs, why didn't you play him more down the stretch? And then after all of that, to just then throw Cam in against St. Louis facing elimination in that last game, that's a tough spot to go into. And and the one caveat I will give you um, or grant them is that Cam's numbers against St. Louis on the season were not great. Um, and, you know, just overall, as disappointing as this end is for the Minnesota Wild, that was just a tough matchup, not just because St. Louis is a good team, um, but because they seem to be a team that, you know, matched up really well against Minnesota and gave them all kinds of fits. And that continued in the postseason. Blues also made a switch, Dave. And it worked for for St. Louis and turn that's helped turn that series around. Absolutely. And and what a great performance uh Binner's put on so far. Um the numbers, if you just look at the raw numbers, uh fantastic. One of the highest save percentages in the league so far. But as you know, I'm not a big guy for using save percentage to assess goaltending performance. That's more of a team stat that tells you more about what the team's doing. And that's an interesting one because Villahuso got pulled in favor of Binner. You look at the raw numbers, it kind of makes some sense. But Woody, the Huso versus Binnington numbers aren't quite as clear when you start looking at the advanced numbers, are they? No, and that's what the interesting thing here, like... Clearly, it's worked. Clearly, it was the right decision. And everyone can point to the raw numbers. You're right, Hutch. But underneath that, the adjusted numbers change significantly in terms of expected save percentage. Those first three games with Huso in there, his expected save percentage. And let's be honest, the Blues have not been a great defensive team all year. They lean heavily on their goaltending. But for the first three games, 872 was Huso's expected save percentage. For Jordan Bennington, and, and, by the way, Huso was outperforming that by 2.2%, which is like eighth in the league. Bennington comes in, save percentage expected jumps to 896, and he's outperforming it by 3.6. So relative to expected, he's still been better than Huso since he got in, but the expected number went up by 24 points. That's considerable. And so what we see these discrepancies, because most people would be like, well, it's, it's two goalies behind the same team. It's got to be the same defensive environment. And that's quite often not the case. And this is a real glaring example of it in a small sample, admittedly. But what factors could play a role in it? Well, we've talked about this in the past. Sometimes we see it. Tristan Jari in Pittsburgh one year, the way he handled the puck. The Lundquist versus Shesterkin debate in Igor's first year um, when he came in, the expected save percentage for Henrik was way lower than Shesterkin. 
Well, one of the reasons was Igor handles the puck so well that he gets them out of their own end. And I think in this series in particular, Bennington's ability to handle the puck and disrupt the Minnesota Wild forecheck has been a big part of turning around this series. Not just how well he stopped the puck, but how well he plays the puck and how that changed Minnesota's ability to generate pressure in the offensive end and help the Blues spend less time defending. That probably, I can't tell you what percentage, but that probably plays a role in in him having a decidedly easier defensive environment compared to what Villy was facing in the first three. Large sample versus small snapshot. The the Vesna Trophy candidates are out, and all three had a difficult first round. Two of them going to Game Seven, and one didn't play at all. But that shouldn't overshadow uh, Igor Shesterkin leading this cast, uh, David, into uh, the Vesna Trophy finalist list. No, and I think if you just look around the hockey world, everybody sort of considers this one a foregone conclusion. I think he had the trophy in the bag a very, very long time ago. And, you know, you might on the surface of it, look at it and say, okay, maybe he's had a bit of a tough time in the first round because he's their Vesna guy and they had to ride him into the playoffs. But uh, Woody, we've talked about that one before, how Shesterkin probably got a, a lighter workload than some of the other top candidates like UC Soros, of course. Um, and, uh, and Jacob Markstrom was ridden hard by Calgary. Um, having one of the better first round performances though himself, he's carrying that into uh into a great first round. So, um, small sample size, as you say, Darren can feed into things really quickly. Like if we played another twenty five games in the playoffs, where's Shesterkin going to be if if they manage to get through? Um, who knows? But uh, yeah, bit of a bit of a foregone conclusion, bit of an anticlimax. I think when that when comes out, unless uh, the general managers surprise all of us, as they've done before. I don't think they can screw this, this one year. up. I'm Not sorry. Like, it's really hard to screw this one up. It's Igor Shesterkin's award. Interesting, though, and I think you're right. Um, you know, uh, Markstrom, you know, was 300, almost 350 fewer chances faced this season than UC Soros. So his workload wasn't quite as high. They did back him off a little bit. Interesting to me that UC Soros and Thatcher Demko, two goalies who faced the most shots in the league this year, most chances in the league this year, neither one of them made it to the end of the season healthy. There's some lessons there. I think there's some lessons in Igor Shesterkin having a strong finish to the season after a little blip in March, like he finished really strong uh, behind a team that was conscious of his workload and not overworking him. And as much as Igor hasn't looked like Igor in the playoffs so far, how much of that goes to the first game and the fact it went to triple overtime. So all the work you did to get him rest kind of went out the window because I thought he looked really sharp in that game and hasn't looked quite as sharp throughout ever since. Like how much of an effect did it have on him having to basically play two games in one night to open the postseason? A couple of observations. Three euros. Anything to that or just a a one-off? Just a credit to... European goaltending development, right? Like, um, so we don't need a summit. No, I don't think we need a summit. Well, I don't think we need a summit in part because, um, listen, like we've talked about Russian goaltending. I mean, this is going to be three in a row for Russian goalies, Vesna, right? Um, or sorry, sorry, it was Mark Andre Fleury last year. I, I was thinking in terms of Stanley Cups with uh, Vasilevsky, two in a row. Um, but he's got he's got a Vesna in there, Shesterkin. Um, we can talk a lot about. You know, like there, there, there's a definitely a conversation about development 
to get them into the NHL. But let's not forget that at the National Hockey League level, Jacob Markstrom has, like, he's not the same goalie that arrived. He's not even close. Like, the work that's gone into him through multiple trades and multiple goalie coaching voices, um, especially coming to Vancouver and a couple different voices there, not just Ian Clark at the end, but uh, Dan Cloutier for the full season he spent in the American Hockey League. Um, when you look at UC Soros and the impacts there, Ben Vanderklok doing a good job, and obviously Igor Shosturkin coming over and playing with Benny Allaire. Like, yes, we can talk about developing for the foundation that was built on these guys, but in a lot of cases, especially Markstrom, uh, there have been significant finishing touches put on by North American goaltending coaches since they arrived. Like, Marky's game now looks nothing like the one he arrived uh, as a pro with from from Sweden. So. Uh, it is an interesting conversation. I don't think we need to have a summit just yet. Um, but let's be honest, there's a lot of skill out there, uh, a lot of focus on Russian goaltending. And once again, it's a Russian goalie who's at the top. And if there was one goalie I could make an argument for fairly, deserved to be a finalist ahead of Jacob Markstrom. And I'm not even sure I'd make it because his team didn't make the playoffs. But it's Ilya Sorokin, another Russian goaltender who was sensational, especially in the second half of the season behind a New York Islanders team that was very not a Barry Trotz. Like, they didn't play the way you would normally think of a Barry Trotz team playing. They leaned heavily on goaltending, and Sorokin was brilliant. The other uh, thing that I notice about this collection is it's three goaltenders that are either taking over right away or a season into their new team's goaltending. And Markstrom acquired by by Calgary by a free agency, and then you've got uh, Shesterkin from the King and Saros from Pecorini. All like three pressurized situations. The these guys were all expected to be the guy, and they've been the guy. Yeah, slightly. I mean, slightly different situations, right? Marky being a, a well-established yeah. free agent, so I'm not sure that's right to necessarily compare him in the same way. Although, absolutely, Darren, you're right. They're very pressure-packed situations when you're brought in in each of those different situations. I, you know, I, I think we're verging on our own little internal summit here and we have to be careful. It would be a great topic to kick around as a full episode at some point with, with the right feature guests. But for me, one of the things that stands out is with the European goaltenders, they get that opportunity to come into the league a little bit later with a little bit more development under their, under their belt. And it may not necessarily be a product of the system, although I'm sure that has something to do with it, but just the opportunities that these guys are afforded to come in a little bit more mature. You could almost look at the Thatcher Demko situation as similar in that he was sort of overcooked in the minors before he was brought into yeah. you know, the NHL. You could look at uh, Las Vegas where Logan Thompson's coming along really well right now, but he had that opportunity to go into Canadian college hockey before he came on. Bit of a unique situation. Um, not like yeah. a youngster going into the NCAA and then having to perform, but that Canadian junior system where kids get spat out at 18, 19, 20, and if they don't perform, they're not getting the same opportunities, the same looks. I think the Euros have a bit of an advantage there. Well, interesting. We could use this as a segue because this is one of the topics we get into, maybe not in that exact manner, but when it comes to developing goalies and some of the trends, with Mike Lawrence in our feature interview. Mike, of course, now working and has for, this will be, I think he's just coming off his eighth season, going into his ninth in Switzerland overall. But before that, he also spent time in the KHL. 
So a part of our interview, he speaks to some of the trends at the youth level. And interestingly, boys, to tease it and set it up, a lot of the factors he cites, not just the development and the access to goaltending coaching, but the access to be able to play the position without needing to take out a second mortgage and the cost of playing both minor hockey in general in both Switzerland and Russia from his time there, but also specifically as a goaltender and how much of those costs are covered overseas compared to what we're looking at over here. It is a eye-opening discussion that we'll get to here in a little bit, but it ties very much into what we're talking about right now. It's the feature interview brought to you by Sense Arena, Sense Arena VR, Hutch. Absolutely. And we guys had a fantastic conversation with our friends at Sense Arena this week. Um, Brian DeCord, their director of goaltending development and a couple other uh, of the guys who work behind the scenes in developing the product and sharing news of the product. We got together just to talk a little bit about the relationship and it's been a fantastic relationship over the last couple of years. And as a result, we got a bit of a glimpse into where things are going and where things are right now. And one of the things I've talked about before on here, guys, is I just love that Sense Arena is not just a product you buy off the shelf and it stays static the way it is, but there's updates coming all the time. New features being added all the time. They listen to the feedback from the pros that use it, from the beer leaguers that use it, from the kids that use it, and they put it into the product so that we see new changes coming along. Um, one of the funny parts of the whole conversation, I think, for us guys was that uh, Brian DeCord held sort of an open office hours where you could book time to come and chat with him about using the system. And he was blown away by how many beer league goaltenders booked time to come and talk to him about their training. Darren, you should have hopped in there and done that. He didn't really imagine how many would be using the system and how many are so passionate about becoming great goaltenders. And I got to think quite a few of them came from in goal because. Of course, we know about our beer league audience and how much they love the position of putting themselves into it. So if you're one of those guys, whether you're using Sense Arena today or not, go to the app store and download the new Sense Arena app. It gives you every day a new video from somebody that will help you improve your goaltending. You don't have to be a Sense Arena user to take advantage of the new Sense Arena app. Of course, if you are, there's other things there like immediate access to your stats through Sense Arena, how much you've been using it, what your save percentage is, all these sort of things. New training plans every week that you can implement in Sense Arena. It's just a great new tool because I think a little bit like us at Ingle, we feel like we're putting out so much great content over on the website. And I have a feeling I know from talking to a number of people that it's it's tough to take advantage of all that great stuff there. And so Sense Arena, again, innovating using an app so that they can help direct you to some of the great new stuff that they're doing so you can take full advantage of Sense Arena, but also serving goaltenders of all ages and abilities, whether they use Sense Arena or not. So Sense Arena app, guys, go out and grab it, have a look around, see what you think. Yeah, I was looking at my stats earlier as you were uh, running that down. It's it's not pretty. No, but that's because you yeah, use that, to... that Craig Anderson technique, right? Just stand in the net and watch the shots go by. Yeah. As he told us, that I'm not joking. So that yeah. you can learn to read the release and you're just accepting that the pucks are yeah. going in in practice because you're going to make yourself a better yeah. goaltender. So that's all you're doing, Darren. We know I it. did concentrate on the release uh, after that and uh, and it was helpful, but uh, but my stats are not uh, not pretty. Woody? Uh, well, um, I don't know if I can use that excuse in beer league. Like the game started. <laughs> Should I just tell the boys? Sorry, guys, I was working on the Craig Anderson technique there. My apologies that it was the playoffs because my stats also suck. But hey, I'm having fun. <laughs> 
It is awesome. I uh, love censoring the censoring of VR and Brian DeCourt. Uh, let's get into our feature interview. Michael Lawrence, the goalie coach with Lugano. Uh, this is an awesome conversation that goes uh, in multiple different directions with Woody and Michael. Excited to welcome back to the In Goal Radio podcast, Michael Lawrence, uh, goaltending coach who's worked uh, here in North America through pro goaltending, his private schools and camps that he runs in the summer, long list of names of kids that have come through there and gone on to pro career. Um, you know, top of my head, guys like Colton Point, Ken Appleby, I know Nico Dawes, Mikey DiPietro all spent time working with you, Mike. Um, now, uh, for the past five years, going into his sixth season as the goaltending coach for HC Lugano in the Swiss League. Uh, he's been in over in Switzerland for eight years, the last five with Lugano. Um, Mike Lawrence, welcome back to the program. I wanted to, I thought it was good to have you back. Seasons winding down or over in Europe. Talk a little bit about development and trends. And there's a whole bunch of things I want to pick your brain on. But first of all, just good to have you back. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a while. So it, it has been too long. So perfect time to catch up. So um, I had some questions for you on development. And it ties into some trends. And this is sort of, folks, where this started. We were having a conversation about some trends here. And it's like, hey, let's get you on the podcast because I love the answers. We've seen in the NHL this season... A lot of goalies, I mean, what, we went through 119 goalies in the National Hockey League. And in a lot of cases, it was guys, including like one you would know in Nico Dawes, second year pro, and all of a sudden he spent half the year in the NHL. And so a lot of guys up maybe before the plan called for them to be up this year. And so it leaves you in a situation where, I mean, it's all about winning. It's all about results in the National Hockey League, but you're also trying to do development work. And I couldn't help but think back to, some of your experiences uh, over in Lugano, especially with one Elvis Merzlikens and the work you put in there because you were trying to build a goalie who could get to the National Hockey League and develop him from a pretty raw talent when you got him to you know a guy who could be a number one over here. And yet at the same time, results mattered there too. You guys were trying to win a championship. So um, big, long-winded question, which I'm really good at. I don't know where to start with it, but that balance, that process, maybe walk me through some of the history that you had with Elvis and what your approach is in that regard, because you're going through it again a little bit with some with some of your goalies over there the past couple of years as well. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of just the way the the NHL is, has gone, obviously with the salary cap and and what that what that means, you know, to to your everyday running of a club for management. Um, with us in in Lugano. You know, going back to Elvis, we were in a position where you you need to win a championship. Your your primary focus is winning a championship, but you know that in order for that to happen with such a young goalie, you still need a de- development process to occur, and you have to be able to implement the important, the immediate, and the long term. And to be extremely structured of what is your immediate, so immediate functions that you're working on, those are day-to-day things. Uh, so that could be if there's issues on rims or sim- something simple that you could be working with video and, and you know, some, some light working on the ice. And then your, your, your long-term functions are obviously things where, in Elvis's case, you know, he had a very wide stance. He was very low. He created lanes through his body because of it. 
and there were some biomechanic issues. So those were the two things that we really worked on was narrowing the stance and then working on what, what I call is, is a pinch. And that is just a biomechanic inside of his hips where it creates more of a bowl like look. You're able to move more efficiently because there's less tension inside of that, that area specifically. And two is obviously because of, you know, the way you're bringing in your feet, you're, you're physically bigger. So um, those two things, you know, plus, Hey, we need to win games, you know, and having that pressure, the day-to-day of a club like Lugano um, that's, that's a, that's a mix, you know, and, and you're seeing that obviously in the NHL, you know, with, with guys like, like you said, you know, um, Nico Dawes and, you know, even, even Elvis right now, he's in Columbus, he's a young starter. Um, you know, I'm sure him and Manny, there's development standpoints that they're, they're looking at, but really at the end of the day, that organization needs wins, you know, and, and it's touch and go how you do that. And so that process, um, there's going to be development like steps that they have to go through. You know, are there times where you, I, I guess results always matter, but are there are times where you have to understand that the results might not be there immediately because the process is still taking place. And how do you find that balance, not just with your athlete and that process, but also with, with head coaches? We're like, hey, like we need this guy to go through this. Because when he gets through it on the other side, we're going to have a way better goalie. But we might have to live with a little bit of pain in the short term. Like, wh- how, does, how do you balance that? Well, it, okay. So the, 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 you know, the process that you're, you're speaking of there was, I, I was lucky because I had a, a goalie dad in Greg Ireland. You know, and, and Greg had a son who's a goalie and, and uh, he really understood the process of, of, of development and, and what that all was. Um, at the same time, Greg is a really hard coach and, you know, demands accountability and, you know, he's, he's, he's a top notch guy, you know, and, and, you know, with, with Elvis, you know, you were kind of, you know, the day to day, you know, we were trying to, to win hockey games, you know, but at the same time, we're very fortunate enough to have a coach like Greg where he understood what we were trying to do. You know what I mean? We would have meetings, you know, week to week about where we were in progress and in development. So, you know, I don't think you're always that fortunate working with someone like that, but, you know, certainly you need communication. You need to be able to uh, work with your staff, include your staff. So they understand where you are, what you're trying to achieve. You know, you, you don't need to, to, most coaches, they, they care, obviously, um, you know, they, they don't want to know all the nitty gritty details, but they, they want involvement. So you, you need to have them involved and, and understanding, you know, to their comfort, obviously, the, the process and where you are in, in developing those pieces. And more importantly, it allows them to understand where we are, when, when bad things happen, you know, and you go into a building and you get crushed you know, being able to take a breath collectively together and, and keeping your eye on the price and knowing that this was a bad night, but these are the, unfortunately, these are the bumps in the road where you need, you know, for, for him to be, you know, getting to a point where, yeah, your, your player um, is able to sustain, you know, uh, the pressures of, you know, an NLA finals and, and getting you there. 
you know, so um, there's a lot to that process for sure. Some of that growth is just experience and maturity that comes with experience. And, and like you said, cause that can come through big wins or big losses and big moments and, and learning how to understand and process them. What about from a teaching spot side, from a technical side? Have you ever been in situations where it's like, hey, we're working on changing this for lack of a better example, just top ahead? Because I remember when reverse came out, you know, a lot of goalies were working to add it. And, they, and that meant what? That mean repping it out in practice all the time. But sometimes when you rep the same thing out in practice over and over and over again, you can default to it a little too much because it's just something you've been doing a lot recently. Like, have you ever been through that type of process with any of these guys where it's like, hey, the stuff we're working on technically, I know once you nail it, you'll be better for it. But there might be some hiccups within games as you try and get comfortable with applying it. And is that something that you can afford to do in season? Or does most of that work need to come before a season? Like, how do you find that balance in season in terms of adding new things that you know, might take a little time to iron out the wrinkles with? So that's a really good point, you know, especially on a European um, perspective is because we have these segments. So basically like three segments during the year. So your first segment is from, you know, September to about November and you're playing in heavy bulk. You know, I always, I always find it interesting when, you know, I'm talking to coaches, pro coaches back here and they're, they, they seem to think that we don't play, you know, kind of that same grind in the season. Schedule wise, you mean? we do play the same grind. We're playing three days a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the same grind. The only difference is that we get breaks. We get national breaks during the season for about two weeks. So that's how they condense things. That's how they fit everything in. But when you get these breaks, to go back to your question, is that it's a, it's a rare opportunity because you get to either look at the functions that are the issue and to really attack them, or you get to continue on with what you're doing and, and choose. It really depends on the part of the season, to be precise. Um, a November break, I will more likely, if there is a biomechanic issue, if there is a uh, systematic issue, like a reverse, that we want to do this in certain situations, that's more likely to be done in the November break. Because the the amount of reps you know what i mean and the amount of games that your starter or your backup it's not as it's not as heavy induced at that time so it makes more sense as you go then you know you you want to take your foot off the, the gas a little bit but at the same time you want to be more precise so you're probably using more more video in in these areas and you're trying to to get more quality work at the same time being very very careful because, you know, if I told you how many practices we have in a season, you, you, you would have a moment, you know? And, and so there's, there's a lot of pound on your, on your body. There's a lot of, you know, it, it, it's tough to practice as much as, as we do, plus the games, you know, in, in those segments and, and you have to be very mindful of it. Do you, from a wear and tear perspective, do you alter your practices in terms of like, well, you know, again, the re, the example of reverse, just because it's top ahead and we were talking about, it's a position that, you know, you talk about wear and tear, right? It There's a lot of um, strain that it puts on your hips and your knees and your ankles, depending on how comfortable guys are within it. Like, do you have to be cognizant, um, you know, even of butterfly drops when you're talking about that workload and managing that 
through the course of a season with all the practice time you guys have? Do you have to sort of alter or be cognizant of how you structure practices? Because they've also got to be out there as a goalie, as a quote unquote target for team practice as well. Yeah. And, and I think that's where coming into the NLA and, and now understanding that grind with the experience that I have, we, we very rarely don't have a third goalie on the ice, you know, and that's something that we're, we're very conscious of. Um, If, if we're going to go into rotation where we know our starter, Nick Schlegel is going to play on the, the Friday, the Friday night, Nick might just come on for a little bit of a segment with me on, on Thursday. He might do 25 minutes, um, maybe 15 minutes with a, a simplified drill with, with myself. And then he might get, you know, maybe a drill or two into practice to get a bit of feel, a bit of flow and he'll, he'll hop off. You know what I mean? And, and then our, our two other guys will, will be on the ice and, and then I'll, I'll do some, some work with both of them after practice. Okay. So, I mean, are all three of these guys sort of like Lugano level goalies? Cause this, now you're, you're hitting on something that I've been a drum. I've been banging over here for a while. The concept of a practice goalie, the concept of, especially this year, like we saw the two goalies who played the most in the NHL this season did not make it to the end of the season. UC Soros and Thatcher Demko both came up with injuries late. Um, and, and, and you can't help but wonder uh, with all the wear and tear if, if some time in practice where they didn't have to be the guy, um, days off uh, where they could go out with the goalie coach and just do their work and then get off and not have to do the extra 200 drops because there's rush chances down the wing for for regular team drills. It, it's a drum I've banged a lot. What, where, like, where do you see that and how do you guys use it? And is it, you know, is it a practice goalie or is it three actual Lugano goalies that you're trying to still work with and develop? Well, we're, we're very lucky because we're fortunate. We have you know, Davide Fadani, um, and we have Thibaut Faton, who these are young guys. These are 19, 20 year olds. Uh, they both played in the NLA this year. You know, uh, Nick was injured and it was a situation where, you know, both your kids are just going to have to figure it out, you know, and, and they were put into situations where at the end of the day for the organization, you know, you're, you're many steps forward, you know, and, and they did very well. So, um, David Fidani played in the NLB for the majority of the season and he played, you know, a lot for the, for the Rockets and Thibaut Faton played about 20 games in our league, uh, backing up Nick regularly. And, um, you know, he's because of it, you know, as a 19 year old, he's, he's on, um, he's going to get attention for, for Montreal for sure in, in July. So um, it's more of just, you know, not really just a, we're, that's not our mindset. You know what I mean? Our, our mindset is obviously you want to continue building prospects and you, and you want to uh, create assets. So that's, that's very much what our, our focus is. And, and we're very much uh, on path for that. But to, so to extrapolate then though, do you see, like, if you, if you were working over here, would you see the value in, you clearly have seen the value in giving your number one, you know, not forcing them to go through all the practices. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, do we need to get to that state? And I know this is a discussion that goes above both of our heads in terms of pay grade NHL and NHLPA and what, whether it's a roster spot or whether you can have a practice goalie, 
Like when you throw the kids in there, do you, are there any like longtime NLA guys that are like, oh man, like I want to shoot on our goalie. Like, do you, is that a pushback point at all? No, I, I, I think it's really important to be mindful of these things, you know, and, and because of the wear and terror of a season, I think as you get more and more experience with the individuals, you're, you're fully aware of what they can and can't do. And, and I think that's how you gauge these things. You know, and, and the other thing too is, you know, none of these guys were really in the same, you know, area of their careers. You had two young guys and you had a guy who's, you know, 27, 28, he's learning how to be an NLA, you know, starting goalie day to day. And, you know, he's been at that now for two, three seasons. So, you know, your body changes at the same time, your body changes from you know, 19 into that, you know, 24, 25 area. And then yet again, it changes, you know, in that 28, 29, 30 area where you've got to do more and more work and different work and prep before you get on the ice. And you've, you've got to be very conscious of this and very aware of this. And it's, it's a growing up process. So for me, it's, it's all about being able to help them with that. And at the same time, being extremely mindful about, um, what you're doing and how much how much uh, workload you're you're giving these guys so that they can be at their best. Yeah, I want to keep on the development path, but there were a couple of strings I wanted to tug on from your earlier comments surrounding Elvis and sort of how you found that balance, and and in particular the two key points. One you mentioned the pinch, the other one was sort of narrow narrow stance. I mean, the latter I sort of have a concept of of what the goal would be and what might have been happening there. So let's start with the first one. Well, you know, you, t- you talked about it a little bit, but I, if we can describe it a little more, like, can we flush out the pinch and what you mean by that when you talk about biomechanics and, and sort of trying to open up freedom of movement within the hips? Like what, what you mean by the pinch and when you talk about yeah. being bowed differently, help me out with that. Cause there's probably a lot of listeners that their eyebrows raised when they, uh, when they heard that. Yeah. So pinch is basically when, when you see a goalie who is in more of a squat versus a, a, a concave pose in, inside of their stance. Um, the squat, the issue is that, you know, the way that your back comes up to almost a 90 um, and the way that you're, if you're in a squat, you're most likely to be wide. It also creates lanes, you know what I mean? But with just dealing with the, the pinch in particularly, you're, your back is kind of at a 90 and what, what happens is all of your weight transfer goes onto your heels and all of your weight transfer is now in your thigh. So that locks you. Okay. Because think of all that tension that is inside or that is in the bottom part of your, of your body. So it, it's taking away from your movement. Okay where a pinch it's it's almost like a hip rotation okay and then your weight now transitions forward and that you'll find that the the biggest comment from players when they start using it is oh my god my calves are on fire <laughs> right and they need to you know there's a segment there where they need to get used to it but it frees up your thighs it frees up that tension so that way you're no longer working. Your body isn't working nearly as much as it was before. And that you have, you just have better center weight 
because of because of that that small small adjustment. So that was one of our focuses was was a pinch. So when you say pinch, you just mean leverage a little bit, like the chest angles, a little more leverage forward relative to the thighs. When when you say ninety degrees and weight on the heels, I picture guys almost using their legs and almost like sitting down with their butt. Like they're sitting down into their it's stance. Like, it's like they're sitting down. Exactly. Okay. And and Elvis used to have a really, really deep squat and it was like he was sitting down. And because of that, anything lateral was was challenging. As quick and as um just athletically gifted as he is, he was working overtime, you know, before the puck even was, was dropped. So you know, that was a big thing to, to free up his mobility for sure. And when you say arched, you mean like almost like the back arched forward as opposed to the shoulders pulled back and that, that sort of everything upright, sort of a little more natural arc forward as opposed to everything pulled back. Is that, does that make sense? I'm just trying to, it's yeah. tough because everybody's listening to this and yeah. they're probably hearing things and everybody hears things differently. We don't have a demonstration or a diagram. We can show them for their ears. So I'm trying to do my best to paint this, this, you know, sort of paint this picture and make sure I understand it correctly of what this, you know, this, this better biomechanical stance looks like when you talk about a pinch. So just imagine your, your hips. Okay. As opposed to being pushed down, they're rotating forward. And when that rotates forward, okay. Your body becomes, um, more on an angle. Your torso is more on an angle. Right? Rather than back and upright. Yes. So your 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 pelvis is actually being adjusted. It's being rotated forward. We hear a lot right? about neutral pelvises. Are we talking about the same thing? Sort of trying to maintain that neutral this pelvis. Is a, me and Maria have had this discussion many times, and we've had some really very very good jam sessions. <laughs> and it is literally the exact same thing. That okay. was our conclusion. Yes. Okay. And yeah. that and that's the thing. I when I heard it, it almost sounded like the, when when I think of a pinch, I think of sort of. You know, like you, cause what you don't want to be is too, too far forward to the point where you create a pinch point in the hips. That's a negative, right? So, so can I, yeah, I just, just stop you right there because, um, the, the way that I feel that I've, we've been able to help guys is, is by actually using med balls on the ice because the med ball, you know, you ditch the stick and the med ball helps you find that weight transfer extremely naturally because like what you're saying, if you're too far forward, you're going to, with a med ball, you're, you're going down for the count, right? So you really learn how to level it and you really understand the feeling. And it's like anything else. There's, there's hours and hours and hours that go into, into that and, and recognizing a pinch. Um, you know, I have endless video on, on, on Elvis and, and, and even Nick Schlegel. Nick Schlegel was, he is not a very big guy. He's, he's six feet tall. But he, he used to play, you know, uh, pretty small. And, you know, and, and that was something that we really worked at was allowing him to hold his feet better and, and to have a little bit more of a pinch rotation so that he's just bigger on the puck. And when you're dealing with smaller, smaller goalies on the scale of things, having those biomechanics and, and updating them and continuously allowing them to have good feel you know what I mean? Like your goalie might be playing outstanding. He might be doing such great things in, in, in a segment, you know, like what we we're talking about. It's week four here and Nick's on a roll, but it, you know, if we have a two days 
you know, it doesn't mean on a Monday morning that I'm not going to bring out the med ball just for five minutes so that he has, he has feeling, you know, and he, and he, he has that, that understanding of where he wants to be in that comfort. I think that's, that's always something that, you know, once they start getting it and once they start understanding the importance of the visual effect that it takes on a shooter, especially, uh, you'll be amazed of how much, you know, as much as they don't like to see the med ball, sometimes they, they appreciate it in, in a different way. Well, my eyes are like bugging out right now because you mentioned video and, and as we're having this conversation and trying to describe it for audio listeners, uh, I'm already envisioning a, uh, an article at ingolmag.com. So I might be, uh, I might be begging that. you, I might be begging you for some <laughs> of that video. Mike. I did want to ask you though, like uh, medicine ball, uh, you talked about using it. Obviously we've seen it used over here as well. I think the first time, uh, at least it, it sort of gained popularity, uh, when we saw Mitch using it. Uh, Mitch Korn in Washington. I think that's where we sort of, you know, and there probably were others that were using it before. You may have been one of them, but that's where we sort of started to see some traction there. Uh, ironically enough, the idea for that for him came from hearing Antti Niemi used to take a 25-pound weight and use it like a steering wheel in front of him when he used to work in the off-season. So same type of concept. Walk me through how you use it. Uh, obviously, you're talking about that feeling and achieving that feeling with the stance or the guys just holding it in their bare hands out in front of them. And what are we talking about? Crease movement patterns? Do you do some low shots? You help us out with how you use medicine balls. Probably a lot of coaches, because I would imagine too, you, you got to be careful. You could overuse it or use it in the wrong way. And like you said, you know, if the balance is off or whatever, you can end up creating a whole bunch of bad habits because they're not in the right position to start with. Yeah. So I, I'll start using it in, in streamlined movement. So movements, which are you know, very basic pattern. Imagine, you know, a goalie on a blue line and he's going blue line to blue line, you know, or if it's a shuffle, you know, he's, he's going to a very short distance just on a line. If it's a T push, you know, it's, it's not a, a crazy arc, very simplified movements to begin with. Once you start using it, um, I, I feel for, for our players that we've, we've used with these different biomechanic uh, issues, it's easier to start with, even just gloves, you know what I mean? Where they're not goalie gloves, they're just player gloves, you know what I mean? Just to keep their, <laughs> keep their hands warm, um, you know, and, and being able to, to gain that feel and, and sense. Because again, it's, it's, a very, it's a very different thing. This is something that, you know, if you're going to start doing it, you're going to start doing it as a coach and, and as a player, you're going to really have the buy-in in summer. And you're going to have that, that freedom to, to explore things. So we start with very simple, simple movements, you know, streamline as I call them. And then as you build, yes, you want to get into the crease. You want to get into real movements, um, realistic movements, you know, creating pressure on those, on those biomechanics that you're going to have to have, you know, and keep, you know, sustaining through game pressure. So that's, that for me is a, a very important thing. You know, and it's, it's, it's everything when, when you're, when you're looking at these, you know, development points. Okay. So the second part that, uh, the second thread I said, I wanted to pull on was the, the concept of the narrower stance. And it sounds like in some ways they're related. Um, when you talked about, uh, getting locked in low and wide, uh, I'm always remember, I, it's sort of the phrase, and I know you would have obviously worked with him because. Um, or gotten to know him a little bit because obviously Elvis was one of the Blue Jackets prospects when he was there as the goaltending coach. I, the phrase that pops into my head every time when we talk about narrowing stances is Ian Clark going 
too low, too wide, too soon. And it sounds like some of that would have related to the biomechanics and and being upright and sort of widening out that stance based on the way he set everything else up. Walk me through the process of narrowing a stance. And it feels like that's become increasingly important for goaltenders as the game has become more dynamic east-west and faster east-west. It's harder to keep up with that if you're locked in low and wide too soon in a sequence. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's definitely something I've, I've always believed in and, you know, coming from Ombre, you know, when I had the opportunity to, to go to Lugano, I, I knew that obviously the project was Elvis and, and um, uh, clearly, you know, being able to, to see him for three years from, from the opposition side, you, you knew the problem, the problematic areas. And, once I got to Lugano, <laughs> I've had several, several page, several pages of, of Mr. Clark and, and myself um, having dialogue back and forth. Um, he's a very detailed guy, and I, I certainly appreciate that. And those were, those were definitely, you know, the, the, the issues that, you know, that he was pushing and, and that, um, you know, clearly there was, there was a, a really good partnership there of, of understanding where he needed to go. Um, but again, my job is to win hockey games in Lugano and you have to decide what is going to be able, you were sorry, which of those things you're going to be able to win more with by the time that you get to playoffs, you know, and, and be able to, you know, be incredibly good with the math. And right, cause you probably can't ch- You can't say to him, Hey, we're changing all this. Like it's all no. changing this year. You have, you have to, you have to pick things, right? No, but Ian was really good at that stuff. Like he, he was, he was um, really great to communicate with and he, he understood what we were doing and he certainly knew where we were in our season and, and the club and the team that we had, you know, we had, we lost in game seven in the finals, one, nothing, <laughs> you know, it was a heartbreaker. Um, but Ian was very, very aware of where we were as a club and, and, you know, certainly was fun to work with you know, in the sense of wins and losses and, 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 but at the same time doing the right things for, for Elvis's development, you know, and, and knowing, yeah, this, this should bring you to here and you should win more games with this, this, and this. Right. So, and I've heard, we've heard Elvis, we had him on the pod. I think it was last summer, although time is a flat circle since the pandemic, maybe it was two summers ago. I, they're all the same now. Um, Mm -hmm. And he talked about that. He talked about perim feet, perimeter feet, which is, I know a phrase that, you use. And and I think of that as a narrower stance when the play's on the perimeter. Um, Why that's important for you? Are there zones around the ice where you can sort of maintain that perimeter? Is it different for every guy where the perim feet apply and when you get into more of your save selection? Um, We've talked about different multi-stance systems. How does it work for you? Does it apply to everyone the same? Like, does every guy need to have a narrow stance when it's on the perimeter to an extent? So is it, you know, a universal thing? How, how do you go through teaching those different sort of phases of stance and setup within the zone for, for a goaltender that you know, I think a lot of guys, you know, even at the pro level, I still see it. As soon as the puck's in, in their zone, they're locked into save execution. Sometimes I would argue prematurely, but every goal is different. Yeah. Ev- listen, everybody's different, you know, and, and just to back up here, because I, I should have mentioned it, you know, we had Irving with us. Um, this season as an import because when Nick was hurt, you know, we, we brought in Irv to help with the young kids and to kind of, 
um, take some of the load off of them. And Irving, sorry, Leland Irving. Oh, Leland. Okay. Yeah. Calgary. So yes, I know um, Leland. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just, yeah, I just called him. Well, well, when you said, when you said, well, when you say Irv, I kind of thought I knew who you were talking about, but I hadn't pulled up a roster. So I wanted to let (laughs) our listeners know Leland Irving for former Calgary flames prospect, former Calgary flame. Yes. Very good guy. Sent me a text message last summer from a golf course uh, up in the interior. He had found an in goal magazine ball in the woods and he just assumed it must've been me that parked it there. So one of the good guys, he could be a pro golfer. He is that good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was surprised he was in the woods at all. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What are you doing in the woods, man? Um, No, you know, Irv had, you know, obviously like where he was in, in, in his career, you know, that's what I mean. It was really neat to have those, those guys because you had these two young kids, you had Nick who was trying to, you know, play every night and was getting the bulks. And then you had Irv who was kind of, you know, there to, to, uh, create quality starts when when we needed them in the rotation and, and we only have four imports so when you put your fourth import in net you only have three up front so it's it's not like it's Big decision. You know what i mean you yeah you gotta make decisions ultimately yeah. as a staff you know that's really what it's about and you know the way that we we're built is we we're really heavy up front with our four or five forwards as imports so you rely on these guys to score goals ultimately so but, you know, Irv was a very wide stance and I, I feel like we worked a lot and, and he really bought into the idea of being able to, to bring in his feet, make his frame bigger. You know, um, he already had, you know, a, a decent, a decent feel there inside of his hips and the way that he was bull-like and concave on things, but it was literally just creating that awareness of visually this is what this does to the shooter. You know, you, you make, you make shooters second guess, second guess things when they see, you know, uh, large images in front of them, you know, and, and going to, you know, what you were talking about with, with the, the systematic spots is that, you know, working with Herb or working with Elvis or Nick or anybody, it's, it's giving them spots. None of the system, it's never always the same for, for all these guys. It's, it's different. And it's, it's based on comfort. You know, there was, there was really two spots that we want to focus on with, with her. Um, Nick will play a full system, you know, where, where he's really very, very good at having his feet down, letting play develop from the outside, not making extra movement from, from those situations. He's tremendous. Thibaut Faton, same thing. You know, um, you know, Davide Fidani is going down the right path with that stuff. So, I mean, none of these guys have the same, the same thing, but you're, you're, you're building a system uh, of simplicity for the guys based around those areas. Yes. Here's a question for you. And, and one we haven't asked anyone else before transitions from a narrow stance into your safe stance. And I know for some, there's a middle point, uh, for some, it's a fluid thing. Uh, for some, there's a, there's a second stance. Like everybody has a different theory. And like you said, um, every goal is different. So how they transition will vary and when they transition will vary. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I've seen guys who go from tall and narrow into save stance, like one to the other, bang, bang. And it's almost, I don't want to use the word a tell, 
But if I was a shooter, I'd be looking for it because there's sort of, it, it becomes too, I don't say too, but it can become so distinct, but it's like, okay, boom, he just went into save stance. Now I should pass because he's locked in. Like transitioning from a narrow to more of a save stance. Are there ways to teach that so it becomes less of a sort of one to the other? What am I, I'm not even sure the word I'm looking here for here, Mike. Like uh, that so, transition can become yeah. very obvious. And I would imagine if I was an opposing goalie coach could be something I want to teach my guys to look for if guys make it a distinct one-two sort of transition? How do you how do you teach away from that? Well, maybe to the opposite effect is that I actually like working with Nick, for example, because he he does like to create that image, you know, off a rush, and he does like to to be big off off a rush play and be able to hold his feet for as long as possible we work on in tight things, you know, he's working on in tight situation, holding his feet. So very unreal, unrealistic, un, un, ungame like situations, but it creates confidence in your athlete. It creates confidence in making those safe selections. And it's a very important part of his diet, you know, ultimately in, in be able to play that way. So yes, is it, are there issues, but I, I think it's more of a way of we've looked at, you know, counteractive uh, ways of, of how to, how to help that. And, and those, those have certainly helped him. And, and even a guy like Elvis, like, you know, uh, I'm amazed of seeing Elvis when play breaks through the perimeter, um, how he's, he's, he's gone to his second, his second dial kind of thing in that stance. But he's holding pretty well. He's not. He's not very wide. Very wide. You know, him and Manny have done a really good job with that. You know, in Columbus. So, you know, th- those are. Um, I think you have to work at those things for them to become strengths, as opposed to looking at it like, you know, stance one, stance two kind of thing, and and looking at it from a, a negative weakness standpoint. In the sense that we don't want it to be such a clear one to two would be a, what you're saying. I guess you want to have it be smoother or later or not something yeah. that other teams can pick up on or that can yeah. become a tell, so to speak. Yeah. And you don't, the other thing too is, you know, to be a little more detailed on it is you don't want it to be a crazy transition in, in, in depth wise, you know, in, in, so we're talking, we're talking, you know, inch, inches, you know, like we're not talking feet here, you know, and, and I think that's why guys become, you know, more and more talented at holding and, and creating that, that image on shooters. Now, a lot of these things that you're talking about from a development standpoint, um, in terms of whether it's systems or biomechanics, you work with goalies, obviously, all year long with Lugano. You see goalies from different countries coming into the Swiss League. Uh, you scout goalies from all kinds of different countries coming into the Swiss League. And I'm guessing probably scouting looking for goalies for Lugano from all over the place. So you're talking to other development people and then you come home in the summer and you work with North American goalies. What are some of the differences that you see? Because I'm guessing you're trying to teach the same thing across both, you know, regardless of what side of the Atlantic you're on, you've got foundations that you work on with these guys. But what difference do you see in the coaching um, from a goalie perspective over there? Some of the trends, some of the tendencies uh, are there things you've seen over there that you like that you've brought home and vice versa? What, what do you see as the different points in development 
overseas versus here in terms of what what's being done. And you, if you have access or yeah. have exposure to the youth level too, what do you see the differences there? Is it more system and club system based over there versus everything here is, you know, and it's not a criticism, it's just the nature of the way things have evolved here. Everything here is private for the most yeah, part. Yeah, so, so I, I think it's a great question. And, and uh, it's not I'm, an easy one happy. to answer though. There's... No, 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 but I'm, I'm really happy to dive into this and because it's, it's something that, you know, it's important to speak about, I think. And from, from a, from a technical standpoint, I mean, goaltending is goaltending. I think, I think it's, it's all the same stuff. You know, I think it's, it's different over in Europe. Europe has definitely taught me as we discussed about, you know, how you, you do work workload, you know, practicing more as opposed to playing more, you know, through an entire year, you know, and, and how you handle that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really about grind, you know, whether it's practice or play. So it's, it's very similar in that sense. The, the difference, the big thing for me is club models. Okay. And I've coached in, in Swiss now for, for, you know, eight seasons. Prior to that, I was in the KHL and, you know, I've had two different versions of club models and what it's different from, let's say here with, you know, maybe in Toronto, like the GTHL is that a parent is going to have to drop about $15,000 for their kid just to play. Just, just to be a part of the team, you're paying $15,000. That's the model here. That's what it is. Over there, this is, hold on, hold on your socks here. It's less than $1,000. It's less than $1,000. Okay, at the same level, to play, play at the same, same levels. It's basically, it's the same levels. Let's say it's, it's midget AAA or, or peewee AAA. Okay. Same, same cost or different costs. Obviously it's a thousand dollars. Um, when I was in Russia in the KHL, I was in Novosibirsk, so Sibir, and most of the equipment was paid by the club. So when people are talking about why are there so many Russians? Why are they? There's so many goalies. It was so predictable. Okay. I was in Zavir from 2008, 2009, and also the uh, 2009 and 10 season. And just in those two years, the development that you saw occurring was so, so unique from different, different standpoints. Like I was, I was focusing on cuts and T pushes and, and AA movement shuffling, BB movement shuffling, teaching them a little bit of systematic things, power legs, you know, getting up on the right knee. Um, so following your rebound, you know, using your vision, using your torso and your hands to be able to make those pivots and find your rebounds. So this stuff to them was earth shattering at the time, but what they were doing was they were paying foreign coaches to come in. They were, we were coaching at that level. But what was really happening, they were creating an infrastructure. Because sooner or later, those students, those localized students who were playing in the KHL, they were going to become teachers. And they were going to have the same methods. And they were going to have the same kind of coaching. And they were going to have different ideas. And, and those things were going to grow. And from a development standpoint, 
you're starting at a much, much higher place because you're not picking from little Timmy and little Mickey who, you know, are limited to, to financial things, you know, and, and, and which parents can afford to be goalie parents here in Canada, unfortunately. You're, you're picking the best athlete who wants to be a goalie in Russia. You know what I mean? In Switzerland, it's the same kind of thing, you know, where, where it's, it's, it's a, it's a broader scale of the type of athlete who wants to be the goalie, you know? So when you're, when you're looking at these things from, from Russia and, and different countries and you're saying, well, why are there so many, you know, so many successful stories? Well, it's, it's be, because of the infrastructure really. So they've removed the cost barrier to a large extent. They're just yeah. looking for great athletes that want to play the position as opposed to having to have the wherewithal to play it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's very different, you know what I mean? From what you're looking at from a coaching perspective, from where you're starting with an athlete for sure. And so, so once you get in and that cost is lower, um, is there goaltending coaches, whether it's in Sabir or in Lugano, like, are there within the club system, like, do you work with goalie coaches that then there's a trickle down, down to the clubs, right down to the youth level where that's a part of the team and the team development at youth levels, as opposed to here, we get some of that a little bit, we're seeing it, but it's usually because the club's hired one of the private goalie coaches to come in and work once a week, right? Like a lot of this stuff still remains private here compared to there. Yes. And, and, you know, even in, in Lugano, you know, we have, we have a great goalie coach who's doing the develop the youth movement. Uh, Paolo Della Valle does a great job with the kids. You know, he does basically from the juniors and he's working with the lower, uh, the lower ages, you know, in the KHL, very similar model. Um, there would be about three, three coaches, you know what I mean? Throughout the entire club. And so when, when you look at it like club and there's a lot of North American listeners, I'm sure is that think about it like a soccer model, you know, is, is, you know, it's not just Manchester United. It's, it's that club that you think of when you hear that name, but then it goes down to trickles down to all those, you know, from, from junior ages all the way to, to little kids, you know, that is the club, you know, so you have to service the club and it is very, very, um, it's, it's an, it's an everyday part of their training you know, for the goalies, uh, just going back to the goalie standpoint, you know, those kids are getting those, those development and the club is paying for the development, you know, as opposed to private training, which we see here. And right on, on top of the $15,000, you got to play to the $15,000 and your kid doesn't even have goalie equipment yet. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's so, not cheap. no, knocks on, you know, knocks on wood that his daughters <laughs> both decided to do other things. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a position which is unfortunately here, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's highly depends on, on your, 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 your financial status as a family, you know, we're over there again, you know, there's, there's, there's better tools which are at your, dis- your disposal to, to be a goalie if, if that's what you want to do. Do you see a difference in approach, style, technique? wise like we've talked about sort of overarching development keys and and access what about in terms of style of teaching focal points maybe at a young age uh you talked about russia we've heard a lot about sort of some of it can even be called old school talk to some of the goaltenders guys like alexander georgiev like he remembers being a kid and it's just 
not seeing a puck for two hours, right? Just skate, skate, skate. And some of it we mm-hmm. would now say, oh, it's old school skating, but you know, edge work and mobility and all these things that he gained. Like, do you see different approaches to the actual position from younger ages in particular? Again, this is outside of your area, but I'm not sure how much exposure you would have had to say sort of some of the lower level coaching or lower age coaching, I should say. Well, I, I, you know, I, I have to give props to, to Dujan, you know, because he, he's a, a coach in, uh, he was, he was there prior to me in Lugano and he was very, very focused on, you know, ball work and, you know, the, basically like the, the, the different, um, visual mechanics and, and the stuff that he would do with these guys, um, is it's where you, when you, when I think about where Elvis's gifts come from, you know, a lot of his, his raw athletic ability, it comes from Dujan. You know what I mean? Like he, he, he really, really helped Elvis, um, be talented with, you know, athletic pieces and battling and, and, and doing just raw things in his game, you know? And, and if you've seen any of the training, that's a you see quite a bit of that stuff throughout Switzerland, I would say, you know, where you see a lot of that athletic training, you know, Sebastian Boyer in, in Geneva, he's very, uh, very battle-like, very athletic as well. He does a great job with their club too, you know, so you, you, you have these different coaches and, and, you know, you have to, you have to really, really identify, you know, what's happening in the league you know, when, when you're a professional coach and, you know, where you can steal and where you can use ideas and maybe grow an idea, those things are, that's, that's all a part of this, this job, you know, helping athletes. So it sounds like they're building athletes, not just outside of the crease, building athleticism, building traits outside of the crease that translate inside of the crease. I just wanted to, because I'm cramping on his name. I know exactly who you're talking about. I think he spent some time over here at the, uh, I'm trying to remember Dushan's last name. I think he's actually spent time over at uh, Justin Goldman's retreat. Yeah, Dushan Sidor is, you know, had a huge, huge impact on on Elvis and and a lot of those, you know, Swiss Swiss guys, you know, and and um, just just creating that that base, you know what I mean? Which which you know, then Elvis came to, you know, a, a guy like me where it, you know it was it was structure and it was biomechanics and it was, it was different things, you know, to, to become more, you know, in that pro model of being able to, to reach those goals, you know, in, in which he had. And you know what the funny thing is, Dushan Sador actually has an article on the original in goal magazine. Um, and I bet you, if I look through the video he provided us in 2013, we might even find a young Elvis in one of these youth camps here. So oh, that's for sure. Funny. You will. For sure. You that's will. funny. He, he's an excellent, man. Good person. So uh, some of the other things I wanted to talk to you a little bit about to go outside of development and practice and pro actually what, before we'd make that transition, what's it, give me a day to day or, or through the course of a week responsibilities. We think of, you know, um, goalie coaching is just working with the goalies, but I know it's so much more than that. I get a little glimpse of it here. We talk to the NHL guys about what the day to day looks like. I'm curious how it varies over there. Like what's your day to day look like responsibilities on the PK pre-scout other team. Do you get integrated into the offensive stuff? Mm-hmm. What's the life of a goalie coach like in the Swiss league? Yeah, it's, it's very similar probably to here. You, you know, you're in, in the mornings, you know, you're, your immediate, uh, 
you know, stuff that you're going through is, is obviously you're, you're taking care of your, your guys, you know, so um, you're preparing, um, you know, for me, it almost dates back to the night, the night before, you know, three, four o'clock. I like having that afternoon, <laughs> afternoon coffee. And that's kind of where I, I plan my next day and make sure that I'm on target to like where I want to be in the week. And are we on pace? So when I come in in the morning, it's more of just preparing, preparing that and giving that, you know, a look over again, just to make sure that, yes, this is in fact where we're going. And, um, you know, having a meeting, a quick, quick chat with each guy, you know, I just like to, I'm a coffee guy, <laughs> you all know that. And I like to, you know, grab a, grab a quick talk with, with each one and, and give them their time. You know, these, these, this is an individual sport in a way, <laughs> you know, and, and um, it's, you got it sometimes looking at it like you're, you're a tennis coach, you know, and, and to, to give them their, their time, you know, and, and, and allow them too is that if you are the, the backup going into, you know, Friday's game, you know, what is, what are your, you know, concentrations? What are you trying to focus on, you know, as an individual, you know, so giving them that, that day-to-day feel of their game is very important. Go on the ice, obviously, you know, 15 to 30 minutes. It depends on, it de- really depends on schedule and it depends on planning. In, in our league, you've got to be a really good planner. And I think that's where I've gotten better and better and better each year um, because of the schedules. And certainly this year we had Champions League. So not only did we play our 52 games, but we played an additional, I think it was like 11 games on top of that, plus exhibition, playoffs, all those things. So you have to be very mindful of where you are in your season. We'll go on the ice. We'll do our, do our stuff um, during the practice. You know, I like to speak to them uh individually obviously just about those finer things that, that we were talking about in the morning and, and just stay on on page with those you know and and to push buttons where you have to to make sure that that guys are dialed in you know especially when you practice as much as we do you know so sometimes you you got to be a little bit of a, a a heavy fist sometimes but you know the guys appreciate it and and it keeps everybody you know going the same direction in the afternoon i would say you know i give them quite a bit of space at that point they're pros, you know, they're going to go do their thing with their families or, you know, girlfriends or whatever, you know, wives, kids, whatever. And in the afternoon, then yes, it's very much about our prep as a staff, uh, looking at PK, looking at, you know, opposition, focusing in on your analytics that you're, you're trying to, you know, make sure that everything is balanced out and that, uh, you know, you're updating things and, you know, I, I, I have a very good relationship with Thibault Chatel, who's a, he is a analytics guy based in Montreal. And uh, he's a, he's a, he's a banker by trade kind of thing. He's banking insurance <laughs> by day. But, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we're, we're always in communication about our, our guys and, and certainly the league, you know, looking at from a, that perspective too. Well, actually, I had him. He was last on my list of the things I wanted to talk to you about and the, and the way you guys have worked together. But first, I want to ask before we get to that. So it would have been a perfect transition by you. But the one part I wanted to ask first was, and maybe this ties into it, how much are you working with the rest of the coaching staff on whether it's like, are your goalies in the PK meeting? Are you guys all working together in terms of what lane, who's taking away and all those types of things? And is there any voice on other than pre-scouting a goalie? and telling guys what to look for or tendencies like are you in pp meetings as well are you 
if there's a tendency of a goalie, I would think power plays are the one spot where you have that extra player and you might be able to target certain things. As a goalie coach, are you involved in those discussions in terms of you know how teams are attacking certain goalies? I, I would imagine more yeah. so in the playoffs than you know one game on a weekend when the next team is totally different. But w- what do those look like, those roles? I, I think they're... You know, there's there's a bit of both. Yes, to answer your question, yes, uh, very much involved. But at the same time, I think a lot of players just privately and individually from the PP come and see you. You know what I mean? Or you'll meet with you know different units. I think that's the easier way of handling that because guys just aren't afraid to ask questions that way. You know, it's 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 more on a stage where they feel comfortable. So you know, from that perspective, absolutely, it's it's a day to day thing. Um, the obviously PK it's, it's endless. You know what I mean? You're, you're always trying as a group, uh, to do, you know, cohesive things to, to allow, you know, to, for you to have the most success, you know, at your, at your PK, you know? So that, that, those are things where for me as a coach, I'm, I'm more focused on them a little bit in the afternoon with the staff, you know, where it's just a regular practice day, as opposed to, I, I like to give you know the most attention possible to to our guys okay let's go back to Thibaut uh Chattel who just had a great story up um we'll have to try and put a link in the show notes here to uh what it's like to work for an analyst as a team he put it up on sort of a blog post uh, on his sub stack uh actually been messaging him back and forth since because it's the kind of thing I think we'd love to publish as well and he's got some follow-ups in the works your work with him, obviously, he's an outstanding analyst in terms of does a lot of the, if not all of the tracking himself in terms of creating this data and tracking games and looking for the, you know, collecting it himself, um, but how he translates it, how he makes it work for for goaltenders and some of the metrics and, and unique things that you guys have come up with mm-hmm. to measure that we haven't seen maybe in all places. Um I can't remember the word you guys used for it. I, I I think most people would think of it as rebound control, but I think retention, um, the importance of that in analyzing goaltending. Just walk me through, give 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 our listeners, our audience, an idea of how you work with analytics, and in particular, Tebow, who is tracking and will track unique properties and unique things with you and for you, and how you apply that. Yeah. So I I was doing. When I first came to Lugano, I was doing everything on my own. So it was caveman analytics, as I, as I called it. And, you know, it was great because you were so in tune with the league because you were tracking. So that was, you know, on my day-to-days, that was usually part of my morning. And then a bulk of my afternoon was, was Just tracking. watching all the games. Watching all the games. Do you know what I mean? And, and, yep. and getting everything down, you know, and, and updating things, you know, so as I went along, there were just so many more areas that I wanted to kind of explore. And, you know, when Flavio Nadari, who's our, our video coach, uh, he created that relationship with, with Thibaut and me and Thibaut, we kind of hit it off. Well, one time I was doing a camp in Montreal and Thibaut just wanted to come in to say hi, cause he lives there. And, you know, we just started talking about goalie stuff, you know, and, and it just kind of took off. Um, but what Tebow has done for me personally is he's allowed me to create the areas and divisions in which I want to have more details on from 
an analytic, an analytic perspective and a metric perspective of what our goalies are doing from a teaching component and how you're going to be aware of things during a season. You know what I mean? And, and, and using metrics to do that. And I'm not a math guy. <laughs> so TiVo's really helped me um, to, to create a language and certainly a mathematical perspective of the things that I value as a coach. And, and we've been able to make some really nice jam that way. So in some ways you're just like, when you talk about using those numbers during a season in that regard to identify strengths and weaknesses and where you need to work on to see if the work you're doing is actually having a positive effect in certain ways. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. So I'll give you an example. Okay. So uh, like, yeah, I don't want to like give too much, but I'll, I'll I was give... wondering, yeah, I wasn't sure how much you could give away, but if you can give us, a, <laughs> yeah. just give us a taste, yeah. Mike, give us a taste. I'll, yeah. Just give you the taste here. Um, okay. So we have, there's something that we, we focus on, which are just on shots for, for any goalie in the league or goalie um, that we work with is, is basically for, for outcomes. Okay. So this is very basic what I'm telling you. So I'm sure that majority of the goalie guys that, that are listening, they, they, they use this, but we're looking at a, a goals against an uncontrolled rebound. Okay. So basically rebound stays in the home plate. That's an uncontrolled rebound. A kill. Okay. And I, that's I would the like word to take, I was looking I would for. like to take credit for that because <laughs> that's my that's my word. Um, but basically stoppage of play. So whether that's off your stick and it's up in the netting. Um, or it's a situation off your frame and that you just, you absorb the puck, you kill the play, play is dead. Um, and then there's controlled rebound. So making a safe selection in, and clearing rebound out of danger. Okay. So those are the, those are the four. Um, something that is, is valued to me is that, you know, and I never understood it. And I think that's kind of where we started, me and T will start making the jam was, you look at analytics, you know, from a caveman perspective back in the day when I was doing it and I'm looking at, okay, a guy's, you know, your basic, you know, plate stuff, you know, like, okay, his, his, his glove is weak here, you know, mid location or high location, all these things. You're, you're looking at that from a, from an analytic, you know, caveman standpoint, but why wouldn't you look at from an analytic standpoint on kills? frame location where positive frame location is is better on a goalie and where there's negative location where a guy is more subject to releasing a kill or not making a kill you know what i mean so from my end i'm looking at it like i'm looking at it like nick any anywhere in you know he he has maybe let's say if there was an issue with you know, um, a, a higher frame shot location near his left shoulder, he's giving off more rebounds in that area on the frame as opposed to, you know, his lower right part of his frame. Why aren't you working on those things? So that, that to me was, you know, using metrics was very important. We have all these other areas that we focus on, um, but those are different, different little things that, that we like to do. Dialing it right down to what shot locations they're managing and killing versus what they're not. And even off pads, like 
Yeah. You know, a, goal, a goalie who's got a really good stick should be able to, yeah. but we've seen goalies um, who don't use their stick and they just kick everything back out. Like I would imagine that's where you, some of that would show up in that data yeah, and then you'd be able to tie it to work to improve it. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's really like, for example, on, on that, it's really easy to see who has a dead stick, you know, ar- around the league, you know, when, um, you know, obviously way pre pandemic, but I used to, I was always amazed when, when uh, just talking stick here, sorry, I'm, I'm on a roll, but um, I would go see Franjean in, in Montreal and Franzi would run his camps. And, and we were introduced by a friend of mine, uh, Chris DiPiero. Um, and they, I think they did like a hockey Canada thing together. Um, and he, you know, he allowed me to come to camp and then we became friends and I started going more and more, but Franzi would work so much um, with stick you know, and, and killing plays, getting pucks up to the netting, you know, off the rush. And, and there, there was so much of that, that at the time back then I didn't really focus on, you know, and I, and I realized as a junior coach, Oh my God, my guys have dead sticks, you know? So, you know, those, all those little, those little things, you know, about, about kills, like they're, they're so important to the professional game. It's, it's crazy. So it's one thing to measure the stat. It's another thing to be able to contextualize it and use it as a way to either A, identify places where you can increase scoring opportunities against opponents, but maybe Mm -hmm. more importantly on a day-to-day basis, identify the things that your guys need to work on because usually those numbers translate to something in the eye test that explains why something's happening, positive or negative. Yes, and where, where you're going is ultimately allows you to make the best seasonal plan for your for your goalies. That's really what it is. Because there's this the the analytics that back it up help you make decisions of where you're gonna go with an athlete and what you're gonna do as your plan. There's always the eye test. So your your eye and feel are always the predominant force behind what you do. However, these are these are tools which you can use. And these are tools which if if you're not using them, you know, um, you're not really setting yourself up for, for ultimately, like, you know, the best success that you can have with your, with your athletes. We've been at it for over an hour here. We're going to set a record for the longest conversation, which I'm not surprised <laughs> by because every time you and I get together, it's a great chat. I, so I don't want to keep you much longer, uh, but I did want to ask you a little bit about um, where's, I don't want to say the state of the game in Europe. Um, that's too broad and bold, big a question, frankly, but, how do things change now with, you know, I don't, I don't want to get political, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, the KHL is probably not going to be an, an, uh, a place to go for imports um, the way yeah. things are in the world right now with the situation in, in, in Ukraine and, and the war there. What effect is that going to have? Like the KHL has been, you know, a place where there's been a lot of talent has gone. Like, how do you see things changing in Europe just based on, based on even that alone? Well, there's no question that it's going to, impact the market you know um just talking from a perspective from you know switzerland you know the the 2022-23 season we're we're shifting from four imports in our league to six so it's it's going to create uh more jobs you know for foreigners um but at the same time you know there's there's an obvious shift from the khl now, what is what agents are seeing, though, however, saying that is the KHL is still to, you know, this day, 
you know, the highest paid league as an right. average. It's lucrative. It's not, it's not changed because you have to look at it from a perspective of, you know, all the players that are on your roster. And, and to this day, as a Russian player, it's extremely lucrative. As you said, you know, the, the ruble is, is your currency. It's, it's, that's your life, you know? So your life really isn't changing much um, from a foreigner's perspective. Yes. Yes. There's, there's obvious concern, you know, getting your money out of there. Right. Um, I would say Sweden and Swiss are very, very close, um, but it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting now that, that Swiss has more import spots and, you know, obviously the league pays, a premium on on their imports, and then and then you're seeing Germany and Finland and, and the the trickle underneath that. But so so it's basically going to push talent to the other leagues, and then probably sounds like a little bit of competition to get that talent. It is, and you you're you're going to see you know what we're what we're seeing right now. Obviously, you know is uh, just in the industry is families are going to be, and that's the that's the key thing. There is is you know certainly if if you're a young guy and you want to roll the dice. You know what I mean, and 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 try to make money out of there, like you know maybe, you know. Um, but you're seeing a lot of you're seeing a lot of families that are are thinking, you know, we'd rather go somewhere that's you know secure and and um, not have to have all those those questions, you know. So the the leagues outside of that KHL, uh, you know, they're going to get that much better, you know, and and it's it's going to be it's going to be highly highly competitive for import spots for sure. Because there's, there's just such a shift. And import spots for goalies. The more import spots you have, the more likely a team is to consider one for their goaltender. Does this mean there's been a lot more scouting work for Michael Lawrence this summer? Or are you guys having to look around? Or like Not knowing your depth chart and where you're at, but is that like, do you see more teams that may have always invested their import spots in you know, high-end forward talent? Do you think you'll see some of that shift where we'll see more goaltenders moving around and is there a yeah. competition and a bit of an, I don't say an arms race is, is a bad word, especially given the situation, but is there competition going up for finding those guys and making sure you find the right one? Yeah, you're, you're definitely seeing a shift in, in that for sure. You know, Omri just made a, an import spot, you know, on their on decision on their goaltending in our league. Um, you know, that that's becoming, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see, but it really comes down to, how a club, how a team is, is tailored and are they tailored to that? You know, Zug has Leonardo, you know, Giannone, you know, who's. Yep. I've watched him that, back to the world juniors. Yeah. He's, he's a winner. You know what I mean? He, he, they won again this year. You know what I mean? He's, he's the goat in our league. He's the standard, you know? So are you, are you going to get a goalie? No. You know what I mean? You have a world-class goalie in your net, you know, and, and, um, you know, like it's, it's, it's really what, where you are defensively, do you need to import D? Can you afford that? Can you, can you have only four forwards up front? It's such a management question. <laughs> it's really over my pay grade. <laughs> so p- thanks for putting me in that spot. I appreciate it. No but, problem. You know, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's really just based on, you know, how you're built and, and where you're going to be in, in two, three years and, and saying that though, too. You know, like, where's that import rule going to go in two, three years? Can you afford to invest complete, completely into that? So that's a bigger perspective. But, you know, if, if the rules change and you have an import goalie and then you haven't developed any Swiss talent, you're in trouble. You know, so all those things are, are there to consider. 
All right. Well, good point. One of many during this hour plus we've had you, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's always good to catch up. Always love the perspective. As much as I sort of came looking for, ah, let's catch up on what's going on in Europe, what's going on in the Swiss League. Uh, I think the truth is uh, that everything applies universally. And so some great lessons there on goaltending development, uh, some great examples on whether it's biomechanics or stance and some great takeaways that I think our audience is going to really enjoy. I can't wait to chase you down for video so we can turn it into an article too, buddy. You've not heard the last of me this summer. <laughs> All right, we, we will definitely do that. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. Really enjoyed it. That's a reaction in real time. Interesting that uh, that you and Michael went down that path uh, to try and make sure that your league, your team, uh, uh, and your goaltending is suited to give you the best advantage possible, Woody. Yeah, interesting to see teams sort of expanding import spots. And I still want to say trying to take advantage, but trying to give their teams an opportunity if they want to, um, to take advantage of you know, an increase in available players um, with a lot of foreigners maybe less interested or more uh, wary about playing in the KHL next season uh, and looking to go elsewhere, sort of expanding those opportunities. And as Michael points out at the end there, really important to not lose sight of your long-term development because these things could change again in just a year or two. And so if you've gone all in at a position or two or at the expense of developing homegrown talent within your club system, which he also talked about the importance of the club systems and how those work as a feeder and also as a development mechanism in each country. Um, you know, you better not go all in on an import or two, you know, you would never do two imports, but you never, better not go all in on import goaltending to the point where you stop developing underneath it. Cause if those import spots get dialed back in a year or two, you could end up in a lot of trouble if you haven't, continued to develop your own homegrown talent fascinating stuff uh, and uh, we're looking at uh, european goaltending affecting the world championship and both with the uh, team canada roster and team usa they they've gone with guys that they used at the olympics who uh, were playing in europe and they've also backfilled uh, that or supplemented that with uh, with some professionals uh, woody yeah, and you know what? Between those two rosters, I haven't had a chance, I got to admit, like I haven't looked through them all, but just between the U.S. and Canada rosters, uh, four of the six goalies are past in-goal radio podcast guests. That Ooh. includes one of those spots that you mentioned, Strauss Mann, who was on the podcast recently and was such a good interview and such a fascinating um, goaltender in person, the way he approaches everything. Uh, he's a part of Team USA, along uh, with John Gillies and Alex Nedeljkovic, expected to be the number one. And then uh, on Team Canada, Chris Dreger, who's been on the podcast. Of course, Nedeljkovic has been on with us as well from USA. Chris Dreger, friend of the program, so to speak, and a guy who's done a lot of great things and pro reads with us at ingolmag.com and a promise to do some more this summer. He's over there with Canada. Uh, Matt Tompkins, who is part of the Olympic program, is is also there. And then a guy from your backyard, Darren. How about Logan Thompson going from playing in the CIS to what a great job he did for Vegas down the stretch this year and getting the first start at the World Championships for Canada. Like, I got to wonder, like, if you had told Logan, as confident as that kid is, if you had told him when yeah. he was playing at Brock that you're going to be representing Canada and getting the opening start at the World Championships in 2022 overseas what do you you know 
I'm not sure he would have believed you. Maybe because he is that confident. He's got that self-belief and that's important. Um, but that's it's been a hell of a journey and there's a lot of lessons along the way. And I would encourage people to go back and listen to the episode we had with him last summer because he shared a lot of them with us on the In Goal Radio podcast. Yeah, fascinating stuff uh, from the World Championship, and we'll follow that along with the journey in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, we'll end this episode with a stick tap to a couple of goaltenders, Hutch, who got involved offensively. We have a goalie assist and a goalie goal this week in professional postseason. How about the performance by the netminders? How about it? How about uh, Igor Shosturkin climbing up into the lead of the goalie scoring race in the playoffs, now tied with um, Louis Domingue at one assist each. Hope, hopefully we get to see a few more before the end of the playoffs and it doesn't win as it end up as a, uh, a one point win. An unreal pass to uh, spring a breakaway. I mean, he sauced this thing to the far blue line, tape to tape. It was, uh, I think he should probably be on the first pairing defense because of his ability to make that first pass that coaches all want so much. Um, He's not going glassing out. He's going up the gut right onto the tape for a beautiful, beautiful play. Um, We all get pulled out of our seats every time we see a goaltender make a gutsy play like that. And uh, and then the goal for Springfield in the American Hockey League, uh, St. Louis's AHL team, was uh, Joel Hofer, who has been a longtime friend of the show. We've known him from skating together in the summers at Eli Wilson's camp, and uh, he became a guest on the show when he led Canada to a gold medal at the World Junior Championships, and he absolutely launched a puck from b- below his goal line I was sure this thing was going to hit the scoreboard. He launched a missile so high and uh, landed it roughly hash marks, I think, in the far end. And flat. Yeah, I mean, it was unreal. Like, Absolutely landed unreal. flat. So, Hoff, if you're going to do another one of these, uh, the challenge now is to one-up that one and just put it into the net on the fly. That's about the only thing you could do to improve that thing. It was unreal. Just love to see it. It was perfection. It was empty net goaltending perfection. You couldn't have, and he had to get it. The defense was back in their own zone. Like, it cleared their heads near the blue line kind of thing. Like just what an absolute missile. And Shesterkin, the good thing for Igor, like like what a pass. Um, I'm not sure there are many defensemen in the league that can make that pass the way he did, frankly. And it landed sauce perfect, but made up for another puck handling gaffe that allowed the Penguins to tie, uh, to tie uh, a game recently where they just, New York had scored three in a row. And bang, 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 they're up 3-2, all the momentum, and Igor left one at the side of the net Woody, uh, Woody, ever Woody. so awkwardly for his defense. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah, you're Don't right. we got to go positive. Stuff. Back it up. Back it well, up. Rewind. My, Don't my, even mention we're going it. Back to the, but we're going back to the Mike Smith thing. Boys, the, there's a lesson at the end of my negativity. There you go. Don't stop handling the puck just because you make a mistake. Get back <laughs> out there and toss the biscuit around. You will help your team in the case of Igor Shosturkin actually score a goal. I, I'm with uh, Hutch uh, going back a little bit uh, on the Hofer play. Uh, the, the scoreboard actually did come into play on that. Like I, I was, I was looking at it the the third time. Went he almost he almost took out some he lights. Must have. I mean, obviously he didn't, but he must have come really really close. I'd love to love to hear from somebody yeah. who was sitting in the stands that night to tell us what it was really like. Or maybe we'll just ask Joel. I mean, we got to do that when he's done with the playoffs. We'll have to get the. Uh, the play-by-play right from the horse's mouth. Those were both dream plays, though, as as netminders uh, and our audience 
right now, uh, being able to throw a puck up for a stretch pass breakaway or score a goal that soars over everybody's heads. Like that is, uh, that is bucket list, dream list uh, type things. Eh? Hey, Woody. Well, for some of us like me, it's more like pipe dream. Cause I could never get it that high or shoot it that far, but man, is it fun to see and imagine yourself doing that one day. It's uh I don't know. There are naysayers. Puck handling is not all about launching missiles the length of the ice. It's about making smart touches, smart plays, right decisions. We talked about Mike Smith last week with a bad one. Um, But man, those are fun to see. And it just goes to show you when you work on your skills, when you can handle it and shoot it as well as those guys can, it gives you an opportunity when when it presents itself to take advantage of and get yourself those moments and those highlights that will live on uh, maybe not forever, but damn near close to it. All those guys out there who want to poo poo those beautiful plays and say, that's not what great puck handling is. Just stop, just stop because you're probably watching the highlights every night for that incredible Michigan goal or the Ovi sliding on his stomach and still throws it in or that beautiful breakaway goal. And those aren't what offense are either. Those aren't smart, clean plays that coaches feel great about all the time but that's what watching highlights and celebrating the game is all about and we love when the goalies do it too so yeah there's some great smart puck handling below the goal line quick little out pass to your defenseman but the other stuff we can still celebrate it guys well it's like the highlight reel saves right like you ask a goalie half the time yes. they'll tell you i've written stories about an nhl.com yeah i hate the highlight reel saves because it usually made them i made a mistake and i had to go desperation but we still applaud the desperation, recognize the mistake, but still make the save anyways. It's okay to have fun. That's what the sport's about. One of those, did you see that? Exactly. Moments where we're all texting back and forth. Uh, awesome. I love it when dad uh, gets all fired up. Uh, thanks, Hutch. Uh, thanks to you as well, Woody. And uh, of course, to Michael Lawrence and Cam over at The Hockey Shop. This is In Goal Magazine presented by The Hockey Shop, source for sports, sorry, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, the feature interview Brought to you by Sensorina, Sensorina VR. We are looking forward to the start of the second round. That's when we'll talk to you next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast. 